This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. First Peter chapter 4 from verse 1 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. Since Jesus has suffered for us in the body, we identify with that suffering. Therefore, the rest of the li- our lives, rest of our years on the earth, should not be lived in accordance to human desires, but rather for the will of God. Tell yourself, I will live for the will of God. I didn't hear your voice. I didn't hear your voice. Come on, say one more time. You know, tell your number, tell your neighbor, I will live for the will of God. Hallelujah. Verse 3 says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do, what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Hallelujah. You know, it's funny how being born to a Christian family can be very deceptive. It can blunt your awareness to the consciousness of the fact that you actually used to be in the world before you received the gospel. Hallelujah. You feel like as if you were born into the kingdom. But you were not born into the kingdom. You were actually in the world before. Praise God. Church, I will together. You were actually in the world before. And he says that, see, in the past, you used to live in a certain way. And because you're born to a Christian family, you think that you don't used to live in a certain way. But you actually used to live in a certain way. The fact that you did not have um, Shongo idols in your house or Ogo idols in your house does not, does not remove the fact that you used to live your life according to lust. Are we together? Does not change the fact that you used to live your life according to idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry is anything that has power over you other than God. Idolatry is anything, is when you find yourself in a place that any entity has power over your will, how you order your life apart from God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Let's go on. It now says, it's talking about them now. Verse 4 now says, they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. When you go to the office, as a banker, you'll be hearing gist for the things that colleagues are doing. Abby? You're in school as a student, you are hearing things that boys and girls are doing. And then you look weird. You look weird. And if they respect you in front of you, they will not tell you. But behind you, best believe that they are not saying nice things about you. They heap abuses on you because they think you are weird for not doing what they do. 
remember the first time I, um, I, I remember when I, when I went to do my housemanship and the common thing, I did, you know, one of the stereotypes that people have about doctors is that male doctors are very promiscuous, hallelujah. The stereotype holds up, amen. <laughs> it holds up. <laughs> A lot of my colleagues there in our, in our, in our hostels, in, in, the, in, our, in our quarters, then, you know, they, they expected, they expected, they will be talking to you and be expecting that, how are your babes? I'm like, what is babes? And they're talking, and they're talking about sex normally. And I remember one conversation where I said, ah, I don't do this kind of things. So. I said, eh, that what do you mean? You know, I said, yeah, I mean that I've actually never had sex before. They said, eh? They said, they just started laughing. Say, this guy is a liar. <laughs> this guy is a joker. <laughs> Till I left, they didn't understand how a young man, a fully, that there's nothing wrong with him, <laughs> can live a life where he will actually keep himself celibate until he gets married. They didn't understand. Look at Apostle Peter now says. He says, the heap abuse on you, verse 5. But they will, give, they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They will give account to him who is willing to judge the living and the dead? Everyone will give account. Everyone will give account. Everyone will give account. See, don't despair and don't join the world to mistake God's patience for something else. The fact that God is tolerating these people's behavior, don't mistake it as, as if that behavior is okay. God is ready to judge the living and the dead. Every act of sin, every act of rebellion, every time you turn your you, by your will, take actions that are in rebellion to God's will. God says, I want things done like this. I created things to be like this. Things will be good if they are like this because this is the way they are meant to be. And then you look at your creator in the face and you turn your back and decide to do something other than what he has said is good. What he has designed to be good the way things are meant to be, you best believe you're not going to turn your back and just go go scot-free. You best believe you're not going to turn your back and go scot-free. It's not possible. It's not possible. He says he's ready to judge the living and the dead. You best believe every false witness that, person, that a person bears, you will give account. Every time you told a lie about someone, 
every time you distorted what someone said in order to curry favor with another person or you distorted something, an event, to make somebody else do bad. You know what you are doing? You are killing them by proxy. Because you cannot physically assassinate them. What you are doing is that you are killing the image of them. And if anybody knows anything about history, every murder that happens, every physical murder that happens, comes by first killing the image of that person in the mind. That's what Jesus meant when he says that if you call your brother a fool, what you have done is as, is as good as murder. Listen to me and listen well. Every murder, whenever somebody has killed someone physically, they must first of all kill the person's image in their hearts. That's why every genocide first starts with the propaganda of distorting the image of that group of people. Hitler wants to make it easy for Germans to kill millions of Jews easily. What you do is that you employ Goebbels and Himmler to create propaganda to assassinate in Jew, um, Jewish people in the minds of other people. Just what I just said now. It's just that in God's goodness and mercy, many times when we assassinate people's image in our minds, the, the end, which is their physical killing does not manifest there's no there's, there isn't enough time for that physical killing to manifest but listen to me if everything was allowed to play its course when you assassinate a person's image to another person that thing the logical event of it what will happen eventually if you allow it to play out is that person will end up being murdered somehow and God is not going to judge you based on the fact that he didn't allow the evil that you have planned in your mind to not carry out. He's not going to judge you based on the effect of your sin. Because in his goodness, it's very complex. The web of causality is very, very complex. Because in his goodness, he didn't allow your sin to play out logically. You, th you think he will judge you less because of that. No. He will still judge you based on the... If, the do you understand what I'm saying? He will still judge you based on what the effect should have been if not because he stepped in and stopped it. The fact that you have fornicated many times and you have not seen the judgment of God and you now say nobody got pregnant, nobody did abortion. So one person fornicated, impregnated somebody out of wedlock and had to cover it up, they killed the child. After killing the child, they covered it up. Another person did adultery, he was able to pay the person off and it didn't affect anybody the way to hush it. And you think that because the effect of what you did did not show, that your judgment will be less. Let me tell you what will happen. The person, imagine this case. A person does fornication, sleeps with someone, and has sexual intercourse with someone that is not their partner, someone that is, they've not sworn the oath of loyalty to. They sleep with the person, the person gets pregnant. When the person gets pregnant, um, they try to cover it up and they kill the child. In some cases, they did not kill the child, but because the thing could not work out, and because that sex was not based on the oath of loyalty to each other, that child is born out of wedlock. That child grows up not being in a good family, and because of that, the child has mental illnesses and all kinds of self-esteem issues, and because of that, the child grows up having all kinds of issues, and he also marries someone because of his issues of growing up from a dysfunctional family and causes problems for that person also, so his own family is also dysfunctional, and on, and on, and on, and on, and on. You see the amount of evil that has come out from it. Hmm? On judgment day, because your own did not show like that, you think that the one that his own led to all that generational problems, you think his own judgment will be more than your own that did not show. You are a joker. The, the judgment of that person 
and your own will be received. You understand what I just said now? Do you understand what I just said now? That's why human beings will look at people and say, and just think that this is where the warped thinking that sin for some people is not so bad and sin in some places is worse. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. Church, are you getting what I'm saying to you? God's judgment of sin is not based on um, how you feel sin is. God's judgment of sin is based on the fact that it is a it is a rebellion against the purpose that God has planned. So that when Jesus came to do the atonement, and you watch what's the name of that movie? Jim Caviezel, Passions of the Christ, and you watch it, and you say, "Kilo leto ye." Why did Jesus have to suffer? Trust me, let me tell you something. The suffering that Jesus suffered physically is nothing compared to the suffering that he suffered when he died. And then you look at it and say, what is the big deal? Now fornicate with fornicate with no key person. Baba, you key person. Do you know what I just said now? Do you hear what I just said now? You key person. He said, now lie with, lie with no key person. Baba, you key person. Now, government's money we steal. We know key person. Baba, you key person. Yes, you did. And this is why no man can say that he has been. This is why salvation is about a man appropriating what Jesus has done. And this is the reason why salvation leads to both regeneration and forgiveness of sins. This is why the lamb that was slain for you, you must lay your hand on his head and speak your sins over his head. Sin causes real damage. There are some that because of our plane of existence we can understand. And there are some that we cannot see. Somebody in Abuja is looking at plots of money going through the government account and in his own mind it's just a million dollars I'm stealing. It's just two million dollars I'm stealing. And hundreds of millions of his people are in sin and it's just a little thing. Guy, best believe the judgment that is coming on him is not a... a you will see, he says, ready to judge both the living and the words. Listen to me. Take consolation in the fact that all the people that are troubling you, you see, the Apostle Paul said it to the church. He said, All the people that are troubling you, all the people that are troubling you, all the government politicians that are troubling Nigerians, take consolation in the fact that they are not going scot free. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? When a man sins, a debt is old. A debt of life is old. A debt of life is old. And it must be paid. I'm trying to drive from your mind any feeling that your sin is not a big deal. I want to drive from your mind that any feeling that your sin is not a big deal. 
even by just thinking about it on all plane of existence, we can see ramifications for what you are doing that are insane. Insane ramifications. Slander is not a joke. I'm telling you, slander is not a joke. Fornication and idolatry is not a joke. Lust is not a joke. Giving your will for another thing other than God to control you is not a joke. It feels like a joke because of the kind of culture that you're coming from, but it is not actually a joke. Most of the evil that is going on in this world is actually from the sins of people. Sin is what is making this world more painful than it should be. Sin is what is making this world more painful than it should be. Someone wants to gain power and he wants to use certain people for propaganda. He will do complex political things by like bringing in kidnappers to make his opponent look bad. Sin. Those ones will run rampage and be kidnapped. See, all of them. The world gets. All of them. All of them. You best believe, as sure as there is life in this world, as sure as your Bible that you're touching is real, there is a life after this world. And everybody will receive. Everyone. You are an employer of labor. You are making profits. And you are looking at your people that are employing, that are making that business to work. And you are paying them suboptimally. You are paying them less than what you should pay them. You don't care how they are managing. And you are paying them less. And you think the, the judge of all the earth will not judge. You are joking. You will stand before him that day and explain why millions in profit was not enough for you. And paying people peanuts. Things you are using to eat lunch is too much. You will explain. You will explain. You will explain why all the things that they've given you is not enough for you. You will explain. You look at someone else's daughter or look at someone else's son. You know that you are not ready to be committed to the person. You know that I'm not going to give myself to this person. I am not willing to carry the burden of being there for this person. But I will take advantage of them and deceive their senses and seduce their senses with the gifts that God has given me. I will weaken their will and I'll take advantage of their body. Even though I'm not, I'm not going to take responsibility for them. And you think you will not give, you will explain. You will explain. A debt is old when we do these things. A debt is old when we do these things. One goat, one ram, here and there. The death of the blood of goats and rams are not enough to deal with the debt that the whole world owes. Because for God so loved the world that he gave his son. He loved the whole world. He loves all people because he is love. That is, is his nature. Hallelujah. One, person, one goat, one ram is not enough. So that means he had to bring a lamb that could die for many and not finish it. He had to bring a lamb whose life is more than any amount of debt that people could accrue. He had to be a lamb that no matter the amount of debt that we generate by reason of our sins now and to the future, 
is a life that is greater than the past and the future. It has to be a life that spans more than all of time because all of, all of time when humanity, humanity is existing, humanity is generating sin consistently since they fell. So that means that the life of the, of the person that will pay the debt must be a life that is greater than all of human existence. There's only one entity like that in all of humanity, in all of existence. In his existence himself, it's called God. That's why he became man to die for our sins. Hallelujah. So that's why your sins are not plenty enough. Your sins are not so much that Jesus take care of it. That's why your sins are not so much that Jesus cannot take care of it. If you receive what he has done, his sins are not so much that he cannot take care of it. Hebrews chapter 9. This is why perfect love casts out fear. This is why perfect love casts out fear. It casts out fear because the love of God that we have seen and that we now enjoy has taken care of the things that we are meant to be afraid of, the things that are making us to hide from God's presence. He has taken care of it. So we can love God easily. We don't have to be out. There's nothing that we are afraid of. Listen to me, church. You have no fear. You have no fear. You have no fear. You know, I am, um, um, forgive my morbid speech. You know, when you're thinking about, talking about things that are part of life and death, sometimes we have to talk very seriously. So permit the morbid speech, all right? You know, sometimes, you know, if you're someone that is contemplates, that's why you think about your life. Because part of the problem that we have actually is in the world, like I told you guys some weeks ago, is that Satan is actually distracting most of humanity so that humanity cannot even think about what is important. People actually don't really think about what is important. Most people don't think, what is going to happen to me after now? Is this the end? Most people actually just walk living their lives, not thinking. All those fears, you don't have any of those fears. You know, something's happening in the plane and then people are you're on the plane and you hit turbulence and people are panicking and say, hey, God. All right? You understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? I have no fear. If anything happens, it's me and Jesus. <laughs> There's no fear. Not that, of course, the Lord is not going to take us before our time because he has things that he will have us do on the, on the earth. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Right? So don't, you know... The Lord has things that he have, will have us do on the earth. And that is, of course, that's very, very important. But the fear of death. We don't have fear of death. That's why we believers, we don't cry and mourn like the world. Apostle Paul us, don't mourn like the people of the world. Don't mourn like them. A child of God has passed away. We don't cry like them. We don't cry like them. Of all the things, if you understand salvation, of all the things that can make somebody to lose faith because something painful happened, death is not one. See, you don't know how much of a distortion it is for someone that say he believes the gospel to say that someone died and that is the reason why they don't believe in God again. 
You don't know how much of a distortion it is. The last thing that should make a Christian, that is the reason why the early church embraced death. They will give them the opportunity to reject God publicly and to die at the hand of lions. They will say, come on now. That's not a choice. Give me to lions that lions can be fat. How did, um, how did, um, which of them was it now, that said that it's, it's good for my body to be fertilizer for the sake of the gospel. <laughs> That's why of all the things that could strengthen your faith, death is not the things that will now make you lose faith that because somebody died, that's the reason why I don't believe in God. It's like you don't even understand the gospel. Like you don't even understand what Jesus has done. Hallelujah. The pain of a person passing is that we will miss them. That we wish we had more time with them here. That we wish that, you know, we could enjoy more time with them here and they could do more things. But see, guy, the world the life we're spending in this world compared to the life we're spending in eternity is like a very, very tiny blip. It's a very, very tiny blip. How can, how can that now be the thing that will make us reject our eternity? It's like suffering twice. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 9, look at verse 9. It says, this is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink. And various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things, they are now already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of his, this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood. Thus, obtaining eternal what? Redemption. A temporary or a temporal life will only offer temporal redemption. But an eternal life will offer what? Eternal redemption. Praise Jesus. Does somebody understand what I just said now? A temporal life will only offer temporal redemption. That's why they had to come in every year for the day of atonement. But an eternal life will offer what? Eternal redemption. Hallelujah. The sin that humanity will commit that will exhaust the life of Jesus does not exist. It cannot exist. Praise God. This is the reason why we both fear God and love God. This is the reason why we both hate sin and have assurance of our salvation. This is the reason why we can hate sin and and despise sin and yet have assurance of our salvation. This is the reason why the reason why is because we know the cost of sin. We know how terrible sin is. We know what sin costs us. Yet we know that the supply is more than enough. Do you understand that? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? We know the cost of sin. Yet we know the provision for our sins. So that is why there is no way that understanding the salvation that Jesus has done, the atonement, the shedding of his blood for us, will not make you think of sin as something that is not a big deal. You understand what I'm saying? At the same time, understanding salvation will not get you to the point where your sin will be so big in your mind that you'll still be shrinking back from God. There's no place for legalism and there's no place for antinomianism. You understand what I'm saying to you? Church, I get what I'm saying to you. There's no place for legalism, boasting in your righteousness or thinking that you can save yourself. 
But there's no place for thinking that sin is not a big deal and I can live my life anymore. Anyhow I like. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Look at verse 13. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Hallelujah. This is the reason why the blood of Christ changes a man. This is why it changes a man. That is why it can purge your conscience of acts that lead to death. So that your conscience that was dead before can become alive and the evil things that you used to do will no more be comfortable for you. When you contemplate the enormity of your sin and the enormity of the value of the supply for that sin, it purges your conscience. Church, out together. You know, there was something that we used to say before that um, um, it's not good for Christians to watch the passion of the Christ. It just makes people sin conscious. You don't know what sin consciousness is. Let me tell you what sin consciousness is. Sin consciousness is the appreciation of sin, of your sin, without the appreciation of the atonement for the sin. Do you understand that? Antinomianism is appreciation of the, of the sacrifice for your sin without appreciation for the sin. People say, what the passion of the Christ is not good because maybe sin conscious is a lie. The passion of the Christ will make you see the worth, the depth of your sin and see the depth of the sacrifice that was paid for it. Church, you know what I'm saying to you? You're supposed to cry when you watch it. Yes. That those that are emotional, right? You are supposed to cry. You say, that's not salvation. No, 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 no. You don't understand the grace of God. You don't know God. <laughs> oh God, I'm afraid for you. They are showing you what you should have suffered normally. You say, no, 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 no. I'm saying conscious. I don't think I know shame. That's why you are doing the way you are doing. You see all the things that he did and the ones that your eye could not see when he died. Eh? Don't worry, die first. And see what will happen to you. You see all he did, you will do your own. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Do you understand what I just said? That's why you cannot get someone saved behind them. That's why, this is why salvation must be by faith. You must behold Jesus and what he has done and appropriate it and accept it and receive it. This is why. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. This is why. Hallelujah. Verse 15. Um, no. Where, where was I? I was in verse 14. Okay. Verse 15. Offer himself on blemish for cleansing our conscience so that master the head that we may serve the living God. Verse 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promise, promise in eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is in force only when somebody has died. 
it never takes effect while the one who is made who made it is living that this is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without the shedding of blood so when Moses had proclaimed every command of the Lord to all the people he took the blood of the calves together with water scarlet and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll on all the people and he said this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep hallelujah remember what Jesus said in um, the book of Mark that we read last week church remember Mark 14 verse 12 to 24 at the, at the communion table when he said that this take my blood this is the blood of the new covenant that is shed for the words many hallelujah so he was he was telling Moses Moses has done his own now as the new Moses I am that prophet that Moses said that a one like me is going to rise from among you he is that one that Moses prophesied to rise among them and just as Moses did he also did and said this is my blood which is being shed or the blood of the new covenant which is being shed for many hallelujah glory to Jesus praise God that's why believers take the communion that's why he said do this in remembrance of me you do it and remember what Jesus did praise God that's why the Lord said you should do it in remembrance of me that's why in all of church history all the fathers have always done it it's not in our head that we will stop praise God he said do this in remembrance of me that's why I was telling you that one of Satan's tools is to make you forget your sin and the, of, and the value of the provision for your sin. The Lord in his wisdom gave us something that will keep us in remembrance. That's why he picked his words and said, do this what in remembrance of me. Christians need to remember. We must never forget we must keep ourselves. Look at the writer of Hebrews put it. He said we should continue to warn ourselves daily why it is yet day. So that sin doesn't creep in and harden any one of us. Hallelujah. Church, out together. Verse 21. He said, in the same way he sprinkled with the blood, the tabernacle and everything used in the ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly, that nearly everything is cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no word forgiveness. Hallelujah. I'll stop here. The book of Hebrews is a very, very wonderful book. I'll just stop here. So without the shedding of blood, there is no word forgiveness. So his blood was shed. Where our blood should have been shed, his blood was shed on our behalf. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Church, I was together. That's why it's important, and I just need to reiterate this for us to, to keep in mind, that the shedding of blood was for the forgiveness of sins. The shedding of blood was for the forgiveness of sins. The shedding of blood was for the forgiveness of sins. The shedding of blood was for the forgiveness of sins. The shedding of blood was not for money making. The shedding of blood was not for um, marriage choices. The shedding of blood was not for all those things that we say. The shedding of blood was for what? Forgiveness of sins. Church, are we together? Church, are we together? That's why the, that blood is not less potent because you are currently in the trenches. That blood is not working less just because we're in the trenches. You understand? I just said to you now. That blood did not stop working because, unfortunately, a Christian had a car accident. No, that blood did not stop working. They played the blood of Jesus on the car and on, and on everybody in the car. And yet the car had accident. Say, what? Why? He said the blood is not working. No, that blood did not stop working because of that. That blood is working and that is the reason why even though they had a car accident, they can wake up on the other side and stand freely before Jesus. Do 
you hear what I just said now? Did you hear what I just said now? Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. You know, I don't want to um, say more than that. So I, you know, I don't begin to sound funny, but it's important to understand that. It's important to understand that. So that the value of that blood does not drop in your eyes. You know, in the culture that we come from, we, we play the blood on everything. The, the bad effect of that is that we, we take it for granted. It does something to our consciousness. I will begin to think of the blood of Christ as something that, that, is, that, that can be despised. We begin to consider it as something that is not of much of great worth. Right? You buy a new car and you are playing the blood of Jesus on it. Right? Church, I got what I'm to you. You want to eat and you are playing the blood of Jesus on it. You know what the blood of Jesus is? You know the blood of Jesus is? Have some value for it. Have some respect. Have some value. Have some respect. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. For, let's just start from verse 1. From verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus paid the sacrifice. The death, our death of death. Please, English people, what's the correct thing? What we owe is life, Abby. Okay, our, our debt of life that we owed. That's the tautology, sorry. We should help me now. We, our debt, he paid our debt. <laughs> Praise God. He paid our debt. We're supposed to die, but he paid it. We're supposed to die, but he did, paid it. Where we were supposed to sacrifice, where we were supposed to be a sacrifice of, of honor, where we were supposed to die. You know what he did? He made himself as a sacrifice to God. Hallelujah. Church, are we together? Are we together? You know, there's, there's a way that we can be one-sided about the doctrine of the wrath of God. We say that the wrath of God is exemplified in that God afforded salvation. And it's true, but it's only half of the story. It's only half of the story. The wrath of God is actually God's righteous indignation against sin. But God's righteous, God is not a passive God. God is not agnostic on any matter. God is intentional about limiting sin. So God made a way out of the judgment, but he's also going to judge sin. Hallelujah. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. So that death is finished and finished completely. So the wrath of God is demonstrated in that he made a way for us where there seemed to be no way. But his wrath will also be demonstrated on that day. And that's how you see the apostles, all the apostles are unanimous on it. All of them are unanimous on it. There is a wrath of God. There is a righteous indignation against sin. God's view of sin is not just indifferent. Say he sinned. Oh, don't worry, my son will die for you. <laughs> the reason why his son died is because the way I'm looking at you, what I will do for you. <laughs> I love you. But this thing you are doing, this collaboration with Satan that you are doing, I will give both of you, both you and Satan. But I love you. I've made a way out. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. First Corinthians chapter 5. 
verse 7. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So the angel of death, the angel of judgment, has been sent to judge the people of Egypt for the wickedness that they did. Many times people talk about what happened to Egypt. and say, ah, why was God so tough on the Egyptians? My brother, my sister, do you know what the Egyptians did? Imagine a generation of people that live in a country for 400 years as property. Human beings. Go and read your Bible. When God told Abraham, he said that they will go into a land and that land will do great wickedness to them, but I will judge that land. What do you think Egypt was doing to Israel for 400 years? You think they were playing? What do you think Egypt was doing to Israel for 400 years? What do you think they were doing? Imagine a king can look at a whole people and say, I heard that there's a guy coming from among them that will be a leader. Go and kill all their children. When they now took their firstborns without violence, everybody now started panicking. God, why did you do that? When he was killing, you know what he killed? All their male children. No firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn. Everybody four years and below. Kill all of them. When God was judging them and took their firstborns without violence, just took those innocent children from this world to the next. They slept and woke up in heaven. You are shouting that what kind of God does that? You do not know what Egypt was doing to those people. You think our God is not just? What happened to them? Hail, fire, um, toads, frogs, their water turned to blood. Do you know what it means? Many of you don't even know what happened 400 years ago. Do you know what 400 years ago is? We're talking about the 1600s. Imagine a, a generation of people that have been somebody's property for 400 years. They take them and use them as they will. They do not have the dignity of a human being. God now judged them. You are now angry. You are a bad person. Do you agree with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? You are not a good person. When that judgment was coming on the land, that's why when you commit sin, an entire land is full of sin. The angel of judgment went over that land. God says, see, I will give you a way out. You will sacrifice a lamb and the blood of that lamb will stand on your doorpost and death will pass over you. Hallelujah. Let me tell you what that was also signifying. Even though they did evil to you as slaves for 400 years, it's not as if you yourself are a good person. Do you not understand what just happened now? Even you yourself, it's not like as if you're a good person. Is it not the Moses that saw someone killing his brother because of that he killed the person? Do you know the amount of evil that even the slaves were doing among themselves? You know this funny idea that because somebody is an oppressor, he's only a bad person. As if the oppressed are not bad people. When the angel of death has been sent from heaven, guy, go and kill sin, go and judge sin. He's not going to say, my only sin is Egyptian sin, my own sin is Israelite sin. Everybody that is a sinner will collect. He said, let me give you a way out. Something must die on your behalf. And when that thing dies, you have to put the thief's blood as a testament that the blood has been shed. So that when you come, you say, okay, the price has been paid here. On to the next. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? He now said, ah, God, Jesus is here. He said, our Passover lamb has been what? Sacrificed. Death has passed over you, praise Jesus. Amen. Amen. Death has passed over you. Somebody say, death has passed over me. Death has passed over me. Hallelujah.
praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's just read a, a couple of scriptures. How oh, praise God. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 21. God made him who knew no sin to be seen for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that we might have the very righteousness of God. First John. I try to pick a couple of the apostles so that you can hear that the apostles are unanimous on this. First John <clears throat> chapter 2. Oh, beautiful. He said, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Praise God. If you go to chapter 4, verse 10, look at what he said there again. He said, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Hallelujah. Our Passover lamb has been shed. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. Death has passed over us. Death has passed over us. Yes, death has passed over us. Please, can you stand up and appropriate this? Appropriate this. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.